The macroeconomic environment over the last 12 months has not made for the easiest operating conditions. But one thing private equity knows how to do well is find opportunities amid dislocation. In this special episode, sponsored by EY, we examine how managers are using this moment of flux to reposition themselves, from tapping into long-term secular trends in the industry to refocusing investment and value creation strategies. I'm Louise Fordham, a Senior Special Projects Editor at Private Equity International, and this is Spotlight. My clients say you can do your best deals because you can buy well in this environment. That's Bridget Walsh, Global Private Equity Leader at EY, a professional services firm that works across assurance, consulting, law, strategy, tax and transactions. And the environment she speaks of is one buffeted by rising interest rates, high inflation and broad economic and geopolitical uncertainty. Of course, private equity is not immune to these challenges. In fact, EY recently surveyed private equity CFOs and found that more than half of those based in the Americas are worried about a recession, while those in Europe and Asia-Pacific are particularly concerned about geopolitical issues. Overall, private equity firms have been operating in this arena of much more uncertainty and the willingness to invest when you've got uncertainty is a real challenge. However, like anything, there's a flip side and uncertainty can yield real opportunities. I had a dinner of a number of private equity directors the other night and the theme really from a number of them was they've done their best deals in this type of environment when they've looked back at the yield because they can buy very well. So when I look at our client base, they're really running the slide rule at the moment and, and looking for opportunities. Walsh says that multi-asset managers that have diversified across strategies are well hedged in this environment, with many able to pivot towards emerging opportunities in infrastructure and private credit. A lot of the big private equity funds are now multi-asset managers. They've got credit arms, real estate, infra, and actually for some of them, private equity is 30% of their business. So again, within those strategies, they're seeing opportunities. Infra is very busy at the moment, given everything that's happening in the world. And the credit arms have really come to the fore for these funds. That doesn't mean the deployment of private equity funds is coming to a halt. Rather, that there's been a shift in the types of deals GPs are targeting and the pace at which they are doing so. EY describes the current deal market as barbell-shaped. At one end, a take privates and carve-out transactions. In a normal year, we would see take privates, public to privates, accounting for about 20% of private equity activity. It rose to about 40% last year. But at this point in this calendar year, 80% of deal activity is take private deals. And, you know, that's not a surprise, really, when you look at public market valuations. A number of them have been announced already, but also we're seeing a huge pipeline of those come through. So that's one real trend at the moment. Another is carve-outs. And again, some of those haven't come to the fore yet, but our big corporate clients are focusing on their core businesses and also looking at what are the non-core and orphaned assets. So uh, we're helping them on a number of big carve-outs that will be coming into the private equity arena very soon. And at the other end of this barbell-shaped market are add-on acquisitions and mid-market deals. So there are a lot of deals actually getting financed, but the trend is they're smaller deals. You know, they're not the mega buyouts. They're not the big platform deals. You know, and again, in a typical year, about half of private equity investments are big platform deals and about half are add-ons. Right now, about 
two thirds of the deals are these bolt on acquisitions to the portfolio or smaller mid market deals. I had a number of bankers in the office yesterday and they just kept rolling off the tongue all the deals that they'd done in the past few months. The mid market has proved fertile ground for private equity firms of late, with deal sourcing increasingly moving down the space towards the lower mid market. Some of the big buyout shops that might have said to us in the past, don't take us anything below a certain size. Now they're definitely, their teams are focusing on some of the smaller deals. Meanwhile, sponsors have been opportunistically eyeing distress plays and progressing their buy and build strategies as valuations have dampened. A year ago, some of those valuations were extremely high and they were finding it really difficult to make the returns work. Whereas now some of those values have become a little bit more competitive. Looking at the investment landscape more broadly, Walsh points out that there's still plenty of appetite for deals among sponsors, but they are taking a more considered and strategic approach, given the current macro uncertainty. I would say all the funds we deal with are really busy looking at things. Obviously, the hurdle at their investment committees is higher than it would have been a year ago in more buoyant conditions. But I think as soon as we see a glimmer in the market, you're going to see a lot of activity. There's a lot of pent up demand. People are cautious that, you know, they don't want to buy something that's overpriced, but getting themselves very prepared to act as things start to open up and as they get more certainty on what the economic outlook is like. These tougher macro conditions have also shown how crucial effective value creation strategies are to growth. I think we really have been, even before these challenging economic times, in that value creation phase of private equity. You know, the days of buy them cheap and sell them high, they're long gone, <laughs> unless you're very, very lucky. Um, so I would say the majority of our private equity clients really appreciate that to get the multiples on exit, they've got to be much more interventionist. They've built their operational bench. And they're very active from a value creation perspective on the targets that they're buying, right from looking at the deal in due diligence or building the value creation case. They're building it into the 100 day plan and across the three years um, from there. So that was there before the economic environment we're in at the moment. But of course, as you'll appreciate with rising interest rates, that all being factored into the model to get the multiples, that value creation element is even more important than ever before. Given the growing importance of value creation, private equity firms have looked for ways to bolster their operational capabilities and their resources in this area. The funds have built not only their own in-house team, they then have the mandate to bring in the best sets of advisors to really drive that value creation through their period of ownership to exit. GPs are using that operational expertise to double down on certain value creation levers to help their portfolio companies navigate today's challenging conditions. So in this environment, the types of value creation tools that are being used is the traditional tools that you would have expected private equity to do, which is getting underneath the working capital, really building good forecasting, managing working capital more effectively and creating that institutional discipline in the treasury function. Also, cost optimization strategies, really removing excess spend whilst preserving your key growth drivers. Private equity firms have also increased their focus on more recent additions to the value creation toolbox. Walsh says three growth drivers in particular have come to the fore, the first of which is digital. I mean, if you look at the digital side, there's huge opportunities out there. I know we've seen some great developments over the past few years, but there's still a lot of traditional businesses there that will benefit. And, and we've been working with to devise a much more digital strategy, whether that's 
for top line growth, how you're addressing your consumer base, but also the efficiencies they're driving in the back office. The second growth driver is talent. Managers are considering human capital strategies during deal due diligence, looking at ways to optimize talent through training, recruitment and retention initiatives. This focus on talent has also encompassed greater recognition of the importance of diversity, equity and inclusion. I've seen a real shift here. I would say genuinely my clients are really focused on driving some fantastic actions around DNI, both at the fund level, but also at the portfolio level, really looking at their board composition and also looking at DNI initiatives right through the portfolio and often working with us hand in hand at EY, where we've done a lot and we're sharing our expertise with both the fund and the portfolio companies to drive that. And I think private equity, because of their interventionist nature, they're doing things because they can also see the real business rationale for that. You know, the logic is there, the business case is there, that good DNI initiatives will help the business grow through their period of ownership, but will also make it attractive on exit. And the third growth driver is ESG, an area that has come under increasing scrutiny from investors, as well as the employees, customers and the partners of portfolio companies. What we are seeing funds say now, if we want to grow our top line, well, actually, the products we're going to take to our customers of the future are going to be more ESG friendly. Not only does that tick an ESG box, it's also good business sense. I'm passionate about the fact that private equity, because of their interventionist nature during their period of ownership, are going to make a real impact in the ESG arena. As attention on ESG mounts, private equity firms are looking at environmental, social and governance considerations much earlier in the investment life cycle. And some are even finding that their expertise in this area can provide them with a competitive edge on deals. We have a number of private equity funds who have come to us at EY and said, before we do any due diligence or go to investment committee on this target, we want you to run the ESG slide rule over the business. So we are already seeing that ESG is the first point of a go, no go decision on a particular portfolio company. I mean, that is a massive change from where we were a number of years ago. There was a major deal we advised on last year in Europe. And actually, ESG was the element that some of the bidders fell out of the race because they could not get comfortable with some of the ESG issues. We were actually working for the winning bidder and we put a team in, did some very detailed forensic due diligence and found a way to get them comfortable with the issues and how they could mitigate certain things. So imagine in one of the largest deals that was done last year, ESG was the driver between the winners and the losers. The value attributed to ESG qualities has been rising in recent years, and private equity firms have seen that play out through the investment period, all the way to exit and beyond. A study conducted by EY in 2021 found that nearly three quarters of private equity firms expected to capture an ESG premium in businesses they were considering exiting. I was sitting with a fund over breakfast a few weeks ago, and I love the phrase, and I've been using this quote quite a bit that they used, that one dollar of good ESG EBITDA will have a higher multiple on exit than less good ESG EBITDA. Any exit premium is particularly valuable at the moment, as the IPO market and other traditional exit routes have narrowed considerably. However, Walsh is upbeat about private equity's prospects, explaining that firms are using this time to focus on creating value across their portfolios. When we think about exits at the moment, I would say most of the private equity funds that we're advising are actually quite well positioned. 
They were really active over the last few years selling portfolio companies and therefore at the moment don't feel under a lot of pressure to exit in the current market and sell maybe in a suboptimal state. Now, if, if this continues for quite a while, maybe that pressure will start to increase. Exit activity, including IPOs, have seen a decline, as you know, from the record highs of 2021. But again, when we speak to our clients, they're operating under the assumption that the market will open up a bit more in the second half of this year. And in the meantime, what they're doing is they're really focusing and doubling down on their value creation initiatives. And then they're working towards exit and their equity story in this environment and and really refreshing that story, given the market conditions we're in. There's also one somewhat less traditional exit route that more sponsors are going down, GP-led secondaries transactions. The secondaries market, especially the GP-led market, has grown rapidly over the last few years, both in terms of transaction volume and the amount of capital being raised for the strategy. Dedicated secondaries vehicles focusing on private equity accounted for almost one-fifth of the $164 billion raised for the asset class in the first quarter of this year, according to Private Equity International data. For context, in the same period last year, secondaries funds accounted for just 2% of capital raised. Walsh points to the growth of the secondaries market as an example of the continuing flow of new opportunities open to private markets firms. You know, the secondary markets a number of years ago were really just kind of seen as another way of providing liquidity to GPs. But what a change we've seen, you know, from a market that was perhaps five to ten billion dollars a decade ago to one that's more than a hundred billion today with huge forecasted growth from here. I find it a fascinating market. I recently did a podcast with Mark Benedetti from Ardian, and he made a great point around the fact that in most markets, public debt private equities, etc. The secondaries market is actually significant higher than the primary market. And therefore, there's a huge opportunity for the secondaries market in private equity. So it's it's fascinating. It's a market within an, a market and is now creating a much more realistic exit route than it was in the past. And I think the funds are becoming so much more familiar with it as a way of operating. Secondaries is the first of three key trends that Walsh believes are reshaping private markets and which savvy managers are pivoting towards. The second is a new equilibrium in the financing markets between syndicated and private credit. There's been a huge shift, as you know, in the last 12 months in this. Credit funds are collaborating to a degree we have not seen before. You know, there's been challenges in the public debt markets, but that's where we've really seen the credit arms of private equity come to the fore, come in, finance these deals, get them done. And I think for them, that's going to give them real staying power. They've got in They're now an established method of financing, and I just think we'll see a real uptick from here on in. The final development that Walsh views as a fundamental shift in the market is opening up private equity to a wider investor base, including retail investors. It's been hard in the past for your average retail investor to access private equity, but I think we're going to see a wholesale shift here. And the opportunity there is just monumental. I mean, globally, you've got $80 trillion sitting in retail investor accounts. I mean, that is a huge opportunity for the private equity industry to tap into that. And you need new routes to do that because I think the challenge in the past accessing retail investors has been the lack of a distribution network. But when you couple that with technology and look at some of the recent announcements around tokenization, etc. This is a whole new area of growth for private equity. While Walsh highlights these three trends, 
She notes that ultimately, there are always opportunities for private equity firms to harness, no matter the market. I think the reason we love private equity is it's always evolving. And in fact, you know, no matter what challenges are thrown at private equity, I think it even creates more excitement in the industry because new solutions, new strategies are developed. That again was Bridget Walsh of EY. For more episodes of Spotlight, visit privateequityinternational.com or find us wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Louise Fordham. Thank you for listening.